Hello, everyone, and welcome to Wholesale Change. It's the webcast and podcast from Distribution Strategy Group, where we offer thought leadership for wholesale change agents like you. My name is Ian Heller. I'll be your co-host today, along with my business partner. He's the brilliant Jonathan Bine, PhD. Jonathan, I know your PhD is in computer science, and it's in AI. So you know what I realized today? Tell me what. You have a very high AIQ. Well, but you mentioned I'm the brilliant Jonathan Bynes. How do you know I'm not the unbrilliant Jonathan Bynes? Because I work with you every day, man. You're a genius. And you got a high AIQ. I could, I, be, I, I could be an imposter. I don't think so. I don't think so. Even if you have the syndrome, you ain't one. Okay, fair enough. Awesome. So, hey, we have a fantastic guest today. We'll be introducing him in a few minutes. It's the legendary David Gordon the founder of Channel Marketing Group. We're absolutely delighted to have him on here. We had a really, really fun pre-show discussion where uh, Jonathan and Gordon were politely debating and then arguing about e-commerce. So it's going to be fun to have that discussion here in front of the whole group of people. <laughs> but first, we got to do a little business, and we are delighted to announce our conference, Applied AI for Distributors. It's October 3rd through 5th at the Chicago Marriott O'Hare. We have a fantastic lineup of great speakers. Jonathan's going to kick us off with an overview of AI and different types of AI and how it applies to the distribution industry. We've got Zach Cass, who is the head of go-to-market for uh, OpenAI. They are the makers of ChatGPT. We've got some other keynoters. We've got presentations from technology companies on the specific AI-enabled tools and capabilities they offer to distributors today. You don't want to miss this one. Uh, if you go to our website, distributionstrategy.com, uh, there's a top banner that will take you to a place where you can register and look up more information. Jonathan, what are you most excited about for this conference? I'm excited to see distributors really looking to apply and then applying AI as a result of it. Yeah. And I think the folks that are doing it are going to really come away with a different perspective about, about application. This is not a theoretical conference. It's not academic conference. It's about what do we do. Yeah, and this, the signups have been brisk and impressive. We got some fantastic people coming to this conference from mm -hmm. incredible companies. So you're not going to want to miss that. Secondly, we want to talk about our subscription tool called Customer Experience RX. Smart distributors know that increasing customer loyalty leads to growth in both revenue and profitability. Furthermore, increasing loyalty depends on being able to measure customer satisfaction and even more importantly, improve the customer experience. Our customer experience RX system provides a new and exciting way to measure overall customer satisfaction, but more importantly, to understand the underlying drivers of customer satisfaction and customer experience so you can do something about it. Because it's not very actionable just to have a raw score, but the system that Jonathan has built actually gives you individual rating scores and feedback on a variety of attributes ranging from sales rep performance to pricing to inventory position to telephone service, to customer service uh, at the counter, you name it. I mean, it's really a comprehensive system. Uh, our early results from early adopting customers have been absolutely off the charts, uh, exciting and positive, and they love the feedback they're getting and they know what to do with the information. Um, so if you're using a net promoter score system or you're looking for a way to systematically improve customer satisfaction and customer experience, reach out to us at Distribution Strategy Group and Jonathan uh, or Dakota will be happy to walk you through the system. It's uh, it's priced very attractively and it's an incredible system. And I miss anything on that, Jonathan? I think you got it, brother. All right, good. There's, this is a uh, this is the dashboard. I should have brought this up earlier. This is the dashboard that you get to access if you're a subscriber. You get an unlimited number of people who can use this dashboard, and it shows you you can cut the data. You know, nine ways to Sunday. Uh, it's really cool. It's it's the vegematic of the CX world. <laughs> I, you know, I was just about to say that. You can slice it. You can dice it. <laughs> you can make Julian fries. Boy, we're dating ourselves now, buddy. Okay. We also want to thank White Cup. White Cup is one of our premier sponsors. White Cup believes distributors win more with data-driven technology because the right technology increases revenue and builds sustainable profits. Distributors need tools that use data to make selling smarter, faster, and easier for their teams. White Cup CRM, BI, and pricing solutions are built specifically for distributors, provide access to intuitive automation, and are integrated with your ERP. Set your sales team up for success with White Cup. Visit whitecupsolutions.com. That's whitecupsolutions.com 
to schedule a free one-hour sales consultation with a team of experts to evaluate your current sales process and talk through actionable steps you can take to make changes that will increase revenue and profits using data analysis techniques and more. You know, I hosted a customer panel of Wake Up users, and they were like, I can't do my job without this system. I mean, it was really impressive. Yep, absolutely. All right, now let's bring in the star of today's show, Mr. David Gordon. He's the founder of Channel Marketing Group. And, uh, you know, I called you a legend earlier. And when I did that previously, David, you confused that with me calling you old. And I did not mean that at all. I mean, you are a legend. It's okay, Jonathan. It's just sometimes it's in your own mind. <laughs> at least that's what my wife tells me. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I know. So why don't you walk us through your background, how you got to where you are, and then we'll get into today's topic. I do want to remind people, we love to get questions from the audience. Please send in your questions. Use the Q&A button, please. Uh, and we'll uh, run all the questions we can by David in the course of today's conversation. So take it away, David. Well, I got started in the electrical side. Actually, my first client in the electrical industry goes back to 1986. And wow. I was in the performance marketing incentive industry doing uh, loyalty programs, incentive programs, things like that. First two clients were uh, Capital Electric. No, Capital Light and Supply. That was in Hartford, Connecticut. And Carroll Cable Company. Neither one exists uh, anymore. Carroll Cable's part of Prismian. Uh, Capital Light and Supply became part of Rexel and guy who was, I was working with was a assistant marketing manager, and now he's the president of Granite City Electric. So I was in that industry for 15 years. And uh, one of the clients was actually a company called Allphase, which was then bought by CED. And I ran their program for five years, but that got me to my first NAD because they had us go and present to 30 some odd manufacturers in four days. Many of those are still the friends because from there, I then joined iMark. I was there for five years as VP of marketing, then went to Source Alliance, which was a dot-com started by Rockwell that some may remember. And then the dot-com became the dot-bomb, started a consulting firm, and 23 years later, or 22 years later, still consulting, helping manufacturers, distributors, reps, associations from technology companies in the areas of strategy, marketing, market research, channel initiatives, anything that fits inside of those four areas we get involved in. Probably about 90% of the business is in the electrical space. We get a few clients in other areas. Just because over the years, because of the performance marketing, I've had exposure to 60 different industries mm. and distribution channels. So, But it's now been 28 years in the electrical industry. And we started Electrical Trends uh, 17 years ago on Monday. Yeah, so if you're, I think everybody. You have a birthday coming up is what you're saying. No, we need a cake. Yeah. You have a, you have a birthday coming up? No, for, the, for Electrical Trends, we need the I, cake. I got it. I got it. So, you know, I have a question for you about Electrical Trends, and we didn't rehearse this question, so I'm kind of putting you on the spot. But you um, are noted, I think, for your very direct style of writing in your very direct opinions, right? I mean, you don't pull any punches. You're not, you're not rude at all. You're very professional, but you're very direct. I mean, you know, if you want to know what's going on in the industry with no punches pulled, this is the place to go, right? Electrical trends. How do you balance, you know, maintaining those friendships and relationships with that candor that you're so well known for? Well, first of all, everything that anyone shares is anonymous. Second of all, there's things that get shared that don't show up there mm -hmm. because it needs to be to a degree politically correct, but I'm not a publication a la some of the trade publications that's just going to take information and, well, let's say regurgitate it out there and just publish it. I want to put in, what does this mean? What are people thinking? And then I'll share my thoughts of where I think some of it can go. Right. I try keeping some of it balanced. And at the end of the day, if you look at the uh, tagline on the top, it's sharing insights, information, and observations. I want people to think. Right. A question to give them another idea. And quite frankly, I mean, yeah, there's some ads on the side there. If I spent the money on going to, going to Starbucks, I couldn't, wouldn't have enough to get me through the year. 
<laughs> so the objective is just right. to visibility and, you know, quite frankly, some lead generation. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And so you're yeah. mostly looking for yeah. consulting. Everyone, no client ever, information ever gets out there because obviously right. everything there is under A and D A. And when you get a small industry, you're not going to share that. Right. And since you know so many, I know so many people in the industry, you got to maintain that confidentiality. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's impressive. I love reading your stuff. You're a great writer. Um, and so there's a lot of acquisition activity, not quite as much as there was, right? But there was, what, eight in the first quarter? Eight eight big deals uh, eight for distributors? Second quarter. Second quarter? Okay. Um, and then, but there, just this week, you just announced in today's edition, there was actually a couple of acquisitions of manufacturers reps firms, which are, that's a little bit unusual. And we talked about that in the pre-call. What, what's going on with acquisitions of rep firms? Well, let's talk about acquisitions just in general. Just in the last okay. half years on distribution, there's been 80 acquisitions. Wow. Yeah. And they're not necessarily just the small $10 million company getting rolled up. Right. There's large size ones. And there's been some of the manufacturers. The reps have had a number of acquisitions over the past couple of years, too. And what it really comes down to in most cases is people aging out. And then they say, all right, as I'm aging out, have I brought up my team? for my team to buy me out or, you know, if I haven't and I don't have a kid in the business who wants it, I'm going to monetize it and I'm going to bail. Hate to say it, but that's what happens. So this last one with electro rep and RB sales, it was different because the two uh, individual transactions that are coordinated sold to a company that's outside the industry. Company called Forward Solutions. That when you look at their site, they're essentially an aggregator of rep agencies. And they position it that they're an outsourced sales and marketing solution. And they've got shared back office services to support companies. In some industries, they're a national distributor with 60 or 70 people for that uh, agency across the country. So this, national rep, not, not national distributor, national rep firm, right? Right, a national rep firm, excuse me. Right. Uh, and, you know, so they've got six or eight different verticals right now that they're pursuing. Probably want to get into cross-sell. They got into electrical. And interestingly, the company is backed by private equity, which also says something about the profitability of agencies. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you're a PE firm, you're really just looking for what is the return. Right. Because not every PE firm is looking to take their deals and flip it onto Wall Street or flip it to a strategic buyer. There's a whole network within the PE world where they just flip it to other PE firms. Right. But the what surprises me though, and we talked about this too, is that you know, the these contracts that these rep firms operate under, you know, they're 30 days long. And typically, the valuation of a rep firm is one year of commissions, right? And so that's a fairly uncertain revenue stream for a PE group compared to, say, a distribution company that's got 20 years of momentum. You know, so the probability of those revenues continuing is pretty high. Uh, but apparently, a, rep, a PE firm has figured out how to put together, or they're, they're attempting to put together a platform of rep firms across distributor verticals. Yes. Now, whether, this, the, whether their same model works in electrical is open to conjecture right, right now. If you look at the two firms that were acquired, there are three lines that have commonality. Southwire, Titan Helaman, uh, Helaman Titan, and elements of Eaton on the non-gear side. Because uh, Eaton goes to market through different divisions. And both, sure. of, both of them only have... There's only one division uh, in mind. However, as much as they've got the 30-day contracts, you got to dig deeper and say, all right, it gives them a 30-day out. And some manufacturers have longer deals. But what's their longevity with those lines? Okay. Typical contracts for the better uh, manufacturers do have a change of ownership clause that they can review. 
who knows what will happen. But sure. if it's longevity and if there's really no change in the operating structure in the sense of feet on the street and resources, there could be no change in the market. Now, what that means for future acquisitions and will they be able to get alignment in other acquisitions? Who knows? But a lot of reps who are also now moving into new territories, and there was an article we had on uh, ET this week also of uh, Yano, which is an agency in New England, moved into, uh, I'll call it northern, central and northern New York. Mm -hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean that the line card for the new territory has to equal the line card in the old territory. Right. Because manufacturers, again, you said, just like with a distributor. A distributor carries competitive lines, carries different lines in different geographic areas, even on the gear people. You could yeah. be eaten in certain branches right. and semen somewhere Seems else. And others, right, sure. You won't authorize you. Right. And you learn to adapt. Do, do you think that the landscape of gear lines is changing faster than it used to? You know, kind of reminds me of college conference realignment. You know, it seems like every week, there's a conference blown up or expanding. Similarly, it feels like, you know, every time I hear about one of these gear line manufacturers, they're dropping a distributor in one area, adding one in another. And that seems to have accelerated versus where it was a few years ago. Is that your opinion too? Yeah. Well, quick quick question before David answers. Was your question about the, the products changing or about their channels changing? My question is, are the gear lines changing which distributors they go to market with in different geographies? Is yeah, that changing? Distributor rather? alignment. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, it's changing more. I think COVID drove some of that because of availability of product. Right. Consolidation is driving a lot of that because distributor consolidation is getting these companies to start thinking, what is their channel of the future? Who do they want to pair up with? And some of them were more flexible with making those decisions early on. And some of the others are playing catch up with who they want to align. It really comes down to whom do they align with first at national chains? And then they're going at some of the super regionals or large regionals. And there's synergies there. The big challenge, though, is if you're a gear company and you're aligning with someone, are you going to give them what's, a, what's called a follow me strategy? Follow me is if you open up a new location, am I going to get the line? And if I'm not going to get the line, then I need to find a competitor. And some of the manufacturers understand that. And some of them, quite frankly, become clueless. Because if a distributor is going to open up for their own growth strategy, you know, gear is 10 to 15% of the sales. You need one. Right. So if you're not going to authorize me in this market, and you may choose not to because you already have good representation there and there are repercussions with those distributors you already have, potentially, yep. then that distributor you're not authorizing has to go somewhere else. Right. And most of the gear lines, when they look at a territory, not only do they look at the distributor number of distributors they have in that market, but they'll also look at what is the focus of that distributor in that market. So, you know, I could have some, a real good distributor who's very good at the larger commercial projects. Right. But I got no one who's really servicing the small project and residential market or the industrial market. So there are ways that they end up justifying it, recognizing that people will end up going wherever the customers go anyways. Right. You know, right. The type of business. So, David, I think this this actually brings up an interesting question. When we look at part of what drives acquisitions, sometimes it's we want geographic expansion, sometimes it's we want product line expansion, sometimes it's we want capability expansion, which might be value added services. Sometimes, like you mentioned, it's we want we've got the project stuff covered. We want to get install and service, or vice versa. What are you seeing now and how do you see that shifting over the, say, next 12 to 18 months? Well, if you look at the AD acquisitions, there's, there's two sides of the job. It's the companies that are proactive seeking acquisitions. They have a strategy. They're usually looking to, quote unquote, fill a hole. It could be geographic, could be market segment, could be product. But the flip side, most of the deals that have happened are because someone's raised their hand and said, 
it's time for me to leave. It's time for me to sell. The commonality with every one of these deals is has nothing to do with the ability to invest, has nothing to do with technology. It has everything to do with succession plan. Whom is going to be my next generation? Do I have a family member who's in the business, who has passion for the business and wants to take it to the next step? Because if you're looking to sell, if you've decided you need an exit plan, first, they want to obviously try keeping it within the family. Whether it's a kid, brother-in-law, whatever, it doesn't make a difference. It's a family asset. It's been started at, by a prior generation or two generations, natural intent. So if you don't have that, you then look at your management team. Do you do an ESOP? It's possible, and some companies have, but you look at your management team. Have you mentored them well enough that they can run the business themselves? And do you have confidence that you'll get the payout from them on a timely basis? A lot of them, honestly, haven't done that. Remember the concept of management-led buyouts? Mm -hmm. When was the last time you've seen one of them? It's been a while. Yeah. So it's the same issue as ESOP, right? Yeah. You haven't brought up your management team and they don't have access to money. So now if you've, you're out of those three options, it comes down to let's put it up for sale. You're going to get a strategic buyer. And there's a couple of deals that have gone to private equity in the past year. And that's some smarter people or some people who recognize that they can get the number that they want. This has nothing to do with multiples. It's a dollar amount that they want. And they're able to still retain a percentage of the business to get another opportunity down the line. So that's so, so two different equations there, Jonathan, of whether it's being proactive or it's being looking for an exit strategy. Okay. So some of them are not selling the whole thing. They're selling part of it and retaining some ownership, some minority ownership so they can get a second payout after somebody continues yeah. to grow the business. So they're staying involved somewhat. Yeah, they right. Make some other acquisitions. Sure. Transition, transitioning, uh, you know, managing the business, being a so, part-time CEO. So Jonathan, you had a, you had a, this is what sparked our interesting conversation during the prep call. You had talked about how some of the reasons or the motivation behind the reasons that people are selling are because you think uh, that they don't want to, or don't have the money to make an investment in the required digital capabilities of the future. Is that right? Yeah, we're seeing this in other sectors, which are, David, you know, once you go through those first few options, succession, sell, turn it into an ESOP, and those don't work out, then you're looking at selling to, you know, one of the other options you mentioned. And so part of what we're seeing in other sectors, particularly industrial, is if you are in that situation where you don't really have a way to, to make the transformations required in the business, um, because even, even at the lower end, it's a two comma check, right? It's a, it's a million dollar, one and a half million dollar, maybe two over a couple or three years. That's a big investment for a lot of $10 million distributors or $20 million distributors. So what we're seeing in other sectors is acquirers are looking at those companies for, do they have good expertise? Do they have a good customer base? We recognize we're going to lose maybe half of the management team upon retirement. Uh, those become great candidates for a company that has a platform, whether it is a PE-backed company or not. But they have a platform that they can inject platform elements into the acquired company. So before Ian separated us and made us put the gloves down in the preparation for the call, you're saying you don't think that really exists in the electrical world. It's, it's a different dynamic because, for, first of all, within the electrical large percentage of the business is construction. So the buying process is different. Now, I'm not saying that a larger acquirer doesn't want volume. Buying a small company can give you volume. You retain some of the salespeople. You've already got economies of scale because do you need that? Even, do you even need that location because you've got an RDC, things like that? So there's a lot of things that can get leveraged. But the technology issue in and of itself, the first part of that is thought process. 
the issue of writing the check for software solutions, product data solutions. Let's just say anything digital equals technology, the whole ecosystem of digital. They can write checks to come up with something that's sufficient to serve their customer base. Mm -hmm. If they have a uh, window for themselves, you know, if they're 65, 70 years old, they're going to say, why do I want to invest in that? Because I'm going to be looking to sell anyways. Mm -hmm. And they're also talking to their customer base. And what is their customer base looking for? What becomes sufficient to serve that customer base? The latest NAD PAR report, which is 2022 data, best in class for e-commerce was 7.7%. That's called, that's going to the website, hunt and peck order. The average or the median was like two, two and a half percent. So I'm not saying websites are not important. Don't get me wrong, because there's the whole omni-service element of that. But for culminating a transaction, it hasn't, isn't a driver in the industry. So there are other ways of getting that content out, other software solutions, e-commerce solutions, data package solutions that people can get into cost effectively. The challenge with a $10 million company, who's the strategist there? Who's the person who understands even how to use the IT, the ERP system half the time. Mm -hmm. It's that owner in many cases, or if he's got someone running the ERP, the guy's making $75,000 and he's really a network administrator. They don't have the thought process. They don't have the personnel. They need support in driving that. So what you're saying is it's it's less or not about the money and it's more about ability. It's not it's not it's not about it's not about willingness, it's about ability. Right. Because financially, all of them could take less money out of the business at the end of the year. They could take elements of that rebate check and reinvest it that way back into the business if they so wanted to. Mm -hmm. There's so many other areas within quote unquote digital. Just even gets just to automating road processes to improve productivity. And we wrote some stuff about how important this is because you look at the labor issues that are going on that are long-term issues. How do you replace, quote unquote, our generation with personnel, let alone the turnover that companies have? You know, there hasn't been a study about turnover within distribution. But if you think about it and you look at the generate uh, millennials, Gen Z, et cetera, et cetera, and you guys have seen resumes every year or two, people changing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how do you teach them someone, not only the product stuff, how do you teach them how to even do spas? How do you teach them to administer rebates? How do you teach them to apply cash for the receivables? How does all those type of things get automated? to start streamlining a business. Now, the large companies have been doing that and they'll continue to double down on that. The smaller companies, they have to start thinking about this because Susie, who's been with them for 40 years, will retire at some point and they won't realize that they need a transition to backfill her until one week before she leaves. Okay, well, so for, for one reason or another, the DX is not going to happen. And then um, either willingness or ability or both, you and I can agree to disagree about the, the mixture of those two things. Um, so that creates an opportunity for the acquiring side, right? Which is we can pick up, we can pick up talent and customers and we can inject them into to our platform. Or you can parachute other resources in because is that business worth acquiring? Because the talent may all may just have relationships but not have skills or maybe in a remote area. Because remember, a lot of these smaller places are suburban, exurban, whatever they call it, tertiary, what's after tertiary markets where there just isn't much volume. I'd go with quatriary, but. <laughs> exactly. It's, yeah. it's that type of thing. You know, a lot of these smaller companies 
are very happy servicing their quote unquote three counties. Mm-hmm. They've got 200 or 500 customers on their list, of which 100 of them do more than $25 or $50,000. And they're happy. And they went to school with half of them. Mm-hmm. And when you say school, you mean high school. Exactly. So, you know, in some of those markets, I mean, CED last year made an acquisition in upstate Maine in a Roostock County. It was a three and a half million dollar distributor. It was the only distributor servicing that entire county, but that county was like the size of half of Idaho. It was a massive county. It's just no bodies up there. The guy gets to the point, he and his wife are old, they're gonna retire. Did CED proactively acquire them because they look at that as a growth market? Or they're just saying, you know, we're going to service those customers and help the guy out. Someone could, in theory, service it with e-commerce, but people still need material. They still need to pick it up, still needs to get delivered. I mean, I was talking to someone there. To get their mail, they have to drive like an hour away. Wow. So, so places in this country. What's that? We just there's some of those places in this country. Yeah. I right. think when you look at the industry, you almost look at a barbell. You've got a few companies on this end that are large companies that may have 50 to 70% of volume. And the only reason I say 50 to 70 depends upon when you look at it. You've got a lot of people on the other end that are these small people. Maybe it's 20, 10 million, maybe it's 25 million. There's just a lot of them that they're not ready to retire. Mm-hmm. And then in the middle, you have a few strong independents who either have succession, they're ESOPs, they're thinking long-term. So, um, I, I mean, there's, there's been a bit of a slowdown in acquisitions from second quarter to summer. Is that summer doldrums? Is that driven by interest rate increases? And do you think the pace is going to pick up in the fall? I think the pace will pick up in the fall. I think, you know, the summertime by almost by nature. Yeah. Is, you know, vacations and whatnot. Uh, I don't think it's, a lot of it has to do with interest rates because when you look at whom the acquirers are, distributors are cash cows. Mm-hmm. So a Sonapar, a Rexel, you know, uh, CD, Graybar, they make these acquisitions. They're spinning off cash. Yeah. Whether they fund some of that from external, I don't know, but they're funding strong. They're generating enough internal to make some of the deals too. Right. And also the smart ones, they got lines of credit and everything at low interest rates a while ago. And the, um, you know, this notion of people retiring and you sell the companies, I mean, to some degree, that's generational, right? I mean, there's a big flood of that in the baby when the baby boomers were retired. And then, you know, that tends to spike and then flatten out a little bit. Um, but this, I, I am seeing more, at least this is my perception in other distribution verticals, seeing more sort of attempts at building platforms, right? So I get one good company and I add on to it. Um, and so you've got, you know, but then you get these, electrical's a little different because you have these massive distributors there's more consolidation at the top. You know, if you look at the Rexels and Sonopars and Graybar, Wesco, there's a handful of multi-billion dollar distributors. That's a little unlike what you see in, say, HVAC or, you know, power transmission or whatever. They may have one or two. Electrical's got like seven or eight. Um, are you going to see, as a result, more rapid consolidation of the sort of midsize group of, the, I think, what you're calling just regionals? as a result of that industry structure? I think it comes down to the company because you look at people like a Kendall Electric. Yeah. They ha- they're a billion dollar plus player. They are three or four major markets. You look at a McNaughton McKay. Right. Kind of the same thing. So there are companies like that and they're structured. Those companies, interestingly, are all structured as ESOPs to facilitate where some of the, where they want to see themselves longer term. There are others that are even the next tier down who are doing the same thing. You look at someone like a Jillips mm-hmm. out of uh, Memphis and St. Louis, which was the acquisition of IAC and French Grobman. 
part of that was driven because of Rockwell wanting their distributors to get to a certain size. Right. Because of leveraging their, their cost structures. But that company obviously can't exist strictly on Rockwell. Right. But they're going to convert themselves further into that platform. What they do long term, who knows, based upon where some of the Rockwell stuff goes, things like that. But you're going to see, you know, it's like grow or die. And, but it's not as binary in the industry because it can be grow, lifestyle, or die. Because there's plenty of distributors who are lifestyle businesses. And if you're, you know, 45, 50 years old and you're in this business and you're running a $50 million distributor and you're pulling out the cash that you want, it could be a very, and you don't have desire for world domination mm-hmm. and you find your niche. It can be a very profitable lifestyle. Not everyone has to have the same aspirations. And I think that's something that we get caught up into is people say, well, you have to grow. And what's your growth strategy? Mm-hmm. If your focus is, I want to be deep in my market area and I just want to get share here or maintain my share, that's not a bad strategy. It's a strategy that works for that individual. Right. And is your, should your strategy be based upon revenue or on profit? You're asking me, I think it's profit. I'm not disagreeing, but I'm just saying, yeah. when, you, when I sit with a owner, whether it's a rep yeah. agency, whether it's a distributor, that's part of that conversation because that guides what the strategy needs to be. Do, do you advise on acquisitions? Yes. Buy and sell? Yep. So you're in the heart of these discussions right now. Yeah. I mean, we won't get, I won't get involved in quote unquote, the financial part. Right. That's why we have accountants. Yeah, sure. uh, I don't have an interest, you know, years ago, I could look at numbers and be within 10%. And that's close enough for strategy and things like that. But yeah, we've had plenty of those types of conversations with reps, with uh, distributors. Sure. Have helped some manufacturers look at some, some people. So we have a question here. This is about the strategy you just stated. Is that strategy of staying local slash niche sustainable in the face of West Coast Santa Par Graybar competition? Yeah. That was that was going to be my question, by the way. So thank you. <laughs> so go on. Those companies, they two out of the three have very defined strategies. Graybar's business is especially on the construction side is more mid to large size projects. You look at Wesco, it's really towards more of the industrial or large construction. And Wesco is very geographic and where they have electrical strength because Wesco is not a $22 billion company. It's one, and I say that, but it, they're obviously 22 billion in revenue, but they're mm-hmm. not 22 billion in electrical. Right. You look at their EES group, and it's about eight, nine billion, but that also includes Canada. That includes rest of the world. That includes the like the Carlton Bates manufactured structured housing. So you got to start peeling back these elements to get it to be apples to apples. And their strengths more been the industrial, the national account, and if it's going to be on large construction, it's going to usually tie to E. So you start looking at the niches. Sonopar, it's a lot different because now it comes down to looking at each of the opcos. Right. Okay. But does that, I mean, why, I mean, but those companies have, I mean, I think the context of the question is those. those... You can be successful comes, it comes down to what is your strategy versus theirs. Right. That's why I say, that local niche can be successful because if you've got Wesco in your town and they're focused, you know, they've got maybe six accounts that are all national accounts. Yeah. But you're focusing on the small to mid-sized commercial project. You'll never see West. You'll never compete against Wesco. Then it's coming to understand what is the size of that market and what type of share you need. Right. What do you think, Jonathan? I think it makes sense. I, I, you, you're saying that they, they're competing for different business. 
Um, so this is this that aspect of sustainability goes away. But but there are other players besides Owesco mm -hmm. who may have created a stronger platform. Um, you know, there's 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 a lot of distributors in the hundred million to five hundred million dollar range or even billion dollar range, right? You got to look at what your market is, what the competitive environment is, what the size of that market is. I mean, remember the electrical is a hundred and twenty-five to hundred and thirty billion dollar market through distribution, and distribution only represents sixty percent of the electrical material spend in the country. Yeah. So, like, if you think if you if you think about Agilix, and I know they're at least the Rockwell business is more on the automation than the power and construction side. But you think about a business the size of Agilix, mm -hmm. that's going to be a formidable competitor for a ten million. Somebody like that is going to be a formidable competitor for a ten to twenty million dollar, you know, three county distributor. I would think you potentially. Yeah. And the only reason I'm saying potentially, Jonathan, is I know a little bit about that company. Mm -hmm. Some of their branches are very industrial and couldn't spell the word construction. Right, but but there, but there are others in that size that are focused on construction. Exactly, yeah. and what it comes down to with some of these companies, we always talk about how distribution is a people business. The reason they're industrial in certain geographic areas and not construction is they don't have the salespeople in that territory who are actually calling on the contractor and speaking that language and asking for that business and maybe the appropriate inside people, it's just that they've staffed that location with industrial people and the inventory there is industrially oriented. That's just how they made their name. It just it represents, it shows that there's opportunities for growth in every market. And when companies are looking at their market share, they got to look at it by customer type and think about these different segments. The electrical market, for better or for worse, someone said to me a long time ago, why is this industry so nuanced? It's got too many nuances. But if you think about the customer base, there's just so many different types of customers, even when you aggregate them. Small resi contractor is gonna buy totally different than a mid-sized contractor doing design build versus Rosadin Electric or Cupertino, mm -hmm. yeah. who, who would probably never go to a counter, yeah. other than you know sending the guy to will call. So, so here's a question for you: If we look towards the future of where the industry is going, I mean, there are big trends like the electrification, you know, the conversion of the internal combustion engine into increasingly gas drive, or excuse me, electric drivetrains over time. Um, which is going to require more electrical power generation, going to put stress on the power grid and also result in a whole network of charging stations, I'm assuming, not to mention the products that are used to manufacture these things. Um, I've heard that sort of described in excited fashion as, boy, this is going to be a big opportunity for the electrical industry. That makes sense to me. Do you see it the same way? And if so, when? Totally see it the same way. I think, you know, I, I get the question, are we going to have a recession? Mm-hmm. And I say yes and no. And the reason I say that is from a macroeconomic viewpoint, yeah, we might have a recession. We won't realize it till afterwards because you just look at the technical definition. But you look at right. the electrical industry. You look at all the money that's come in through the IIJA, the infrastructure spent. Mm -hmm. You look at the grid issues. You look at everything with greenification, electrification. You look at the industrial reshoring, nearshoring that's happening. This could be, quote unquote, the part of the golden age of electrical that maybe we won't uh, have. There's enough business looking out over the next eight years. We're not necessarily seeing high growth right now, because if you look at commodity prices versus last year, Copper, aluminum, resin, uh, and steel, which are significant. They've dropped a significant percent versus last year. So unit sales are up, but dollars are down. So these other things are coming. They got to get some of them have to get off the uh, 
plate, some of the business will come direct. So it'll go to, from manufacturers. I've talked to transformer companies that are bidding on billion dollar projects for states. Yeah. But that may not come through distribution because them and the utilities buy a lot direct. Right. But right. there's going to be a lot of other stuff. There's a lot of the EV charger companies. They sell direct or versus yeah. distribution. But there is lots of opportunities for people. It's also, quite frankly, why the Sonopars and Rexels are making the investments because they look at the U.S. market as the electrical growth market worldwide. They're not going to put their money into Europe. Yeah, right. Did you see this? This Toyota announced this a couple of weeks ago. Solid-state batteries will offer a range of 745 miles and charge in under 10 minutes. That's kind of where it needs to go to get people to not worry about range anxiety. Yeah, and recharging anxiety. I mean, you know, mine's a little bit shorter range if you can recharge in 10 minutes, but to get both, I mean, I don't know if this is true. I read this in a bunch of automotive publications, but, you know, if you can really get even four or 500 miles of range and recharge in 10 minutes, that's game changing. I mean, that would make someone like me consider an EV for the first time because we live in Colorado. You know, we drive to Montana to visit my wife's family or New Mexico to visit her sister. You know, you don't have, you, Stopping for gas at halfway is just the only way you can do it right now, right? Unless you are willing to really plan out your route and stop a few times. And it's not I, like driving in New England. No, it's not. I, I, These are Western states. Right. Yeah, in June, I rented a car here in Raleigh to drive to Pittsburgh. Yeah. And the car's plates had expired, so I went to turn it in. Thrifty wants to give me a EV. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna go, but now I'm gonna go from Pittsburgh to Cleveland after three or four days in Pittsburgh, and then Cleveland back to Raleigh. I said to the guy, you know, it's an eight, nine hour drive already from Cleveland to Raleigh. You want to turn this into like a 12 hour drive? Right. And where in West Virginia am I going to get a charge? Going to probably yeah. do this at nine, 10 o'clock at night? Yeah, right. Yeah, well, that's a coal state, so there's probably illegal to get a charge there. Exactly. <laughs> Although they, there's a company there making electric buses. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah. And there's five dollars set aside for that. Well, I think it's, we could probably wrap up now. We're coming up on our time anyway. Um, David, anything else you want to leave with our audience about what's going on in the electrical industry? Something we didn't cover. And how do they, I mean, I think most people already know your publication, but why don't you just give the URL real quick? so that Well, URL for electrical trends is just electricaltrends.com. If people uh, were running a similar concept in HVAC, and that's HVACRtrends.com. Both of them are free subscriptions, and we just push it out probably usually twice a week, put out some topics. Uh, if people want to learn more about us, they can go to channelmkt.com. And that's kind of who we are and what we do. And if people have questions about something, Feel free to call and I'll share ideas and whatnot. And we'll worry about if there's projects and things like that later. But I have a bad history of uh, sharing opinions with people. And, you know, we play the long term. And, you know, my wife told me I can't go anywhere for at least another eight to 10 years. <laughs> hey, um, we, do have me. We, we do have one more question. Uh, you shared some numbers a few minutes ago about the size of the electrical market. And that approximately 60% of the opportunity flows through distribution. Uh, what is the percentage today flowing through the big five distributors versus five years from now? Are they going to pick up channel share? Yeah, they'll pick up channel share. Part of that will be through acquisition. Okay. Uh, things that we know that's going on right now that would further accelerate that. They're also going to grow organically at a faster rate. Part right. of that is, you know, go back to what we were just talking about with IIJA and electrification. Right. The bigger distributors are going to win more of that because they can finance those deals. Right. Further, they're working with more and more of the NECA distributors, NECA contractors, the union right. contractors. Right. Who, God bless our government. Any government-funded project over $35 million has to go to a union contractor. Right. So, so that's going to go to the bigger distributors. And if you look at NECA uh, and go to the NECA show this year in Philadelphia, 
all the national chains have big booths. Right. Right. That's where the partnerships are. Yeah. Good. All right, good. So if, if everyone can hang on just another minute, I want to tell you about a couple of upcoming programs we have. On August 16th, we've got a program called Delighted Customers by Mar, How Exceptional Customer Experience Powers Growth and Profits. We've got four great distribution executives, uh, Corey Heigel from Palmer Donovan, Jennifer Jubin from Co-Distributing, Jennifer Johnson from MCE Automation, and Joanne Stetzer from Benco Dental. We'll talk about this notion of how to build loyalty and thus retention and grow sales with those retained customers. That's sponsored by us and our customer experience, RX product. On August 22nd, uh, we have a fascinating panel coming up called Artificial Intelligence Implications for Distributor Sales, Marketing, and Digital Strategies. We'll have Renata Morgan, uh, who came out of HVAC distribution and networks for Ream. So she'll have both the manufacturer and the distributor viewpoint. And then Mike Powers, who's the director of e-commerce and digital strategy for ARG Industrial, formerly Alaska Rubber Group. We got a couple of other people that might be joining us too. Um, so please join us for that. That one's brought by brought to you by Epicor. If you have questions, please reach out to Jonathan at jbine at distributionstrategy.com or me at iheller at distributionstrategy.com. David, thank you so much for joining us today. Really enjoyed the discussion. I enjoyed it. Had fun. Awesome. All right, Jonathan, we'll see you soon, too. Uh, thanks again for joining us, everyone. And uh, we'll see you next time on the Wholesale Change Show. Bye now. Yeah.